welcome to the Pearson English Podcast, the show in which my panel and I chat to the most interesting and influential people in the field of ELT. I'm your host, Joanna Wiseman, and joining me on the panel this month are Richard Cleave. Hello. And Sam Wordsworth. Hello, hello. How are we doing today? Not too bad at all. You'll be interested to know that I am beginning to see how or learn how a house is built. My desk sits right by a window and exactly opposite from where I live, there's a new small house being built um, on site of an old garage. So yeah, I'm beginning to learn, see what it involves to make a house from foundations. We're now onto the, onto the, the ground floor has been finished, or at least the, out, um, the walls of the ground floor. Wow. So it's like a, a less murdery version of Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock. Have you seen anything kind of exciting happening over there or is it just Not building? Not so work? far. It's just seeing these people I see every day, these, these, these people who work on the site going back and forth. Um, I endow them with characters. One I think is a bit grumpy. He's, I don't know why. Um, other <laughs> one looks quite cheerful, but I just can't tell. It's just from a distance. It's, it's kind of what you, you endow into a scene that you can't interact with. Well, keep us updated on the progress. I'd love to see what happens with the grumpy man. I will do. Anyway, so now to get on with the show. Words like test, exam and assessment strike fear into the heart of many of us. They take us back to musty old classrooms or that time we failed our fourth driving test. But testing and assessment is a fundamental part of language learning. And it's fair to say that things have moved on a bit since I took my French O-level. So what's available these days? What are the benefits and what's next? Well, here to get us up to speed is teacher trainer, IELTS expert, and self-confessed learning addict, Anna Hasper. Anna, welcome to the show. Hi, Sam. Hi, Richard. Hi, Joanna. Thanks for having me and lovely to be here today. So we start with this one big question. Why is testing and assessment so important? Excellent question, Joanna. And I think, first of all, it's really important that we make that distinction between testing and assessment. Uh, it's so common that people are talking about assessments, but they actually mean testing. So let's get that clear. When we speak about assessing, we're more or less collecting information about a student's level, their progress or their performance. And there's many different ways of doing that. And one way, of course, is the old fashioned testing which is sort of a snapshot of our students' performance. And um, we're giving it a grade or a score. It's actually quite, we're judging or evaluating how good their learning performance is. Um, why is it so important? I think there are many different reasons for that. One of them is often that it's used as an external benchmark. So we want to see how good your English or your French is. And are you actually able to take a course at university in that level? Or are you able to start a job where you have to use that language daily? Um, it helps us teachers, of course, to determine the strengths and weaknesses of our learners. And I think as well, if you look at schools, it keeps us as a school, but as a teacher as well, accountable for what we're doing. Because quite often there's a lot happening in the classroom, which might not always lead to learning. So overall, that testing really is an indicator of our students' performance or maybe an attempt to indicate that. Because I don't know what you were like, Richard, in your own levels. But quite often when there are exams that are high stakes with grading or scoring, students get very nervous. So I'm not sure if it's always representative of the abilities they have. I don't know how you feel about that, but I certainly wasn't great in testing. <laughs> it wasn't my best exam either. But looking at assessment, what kind of assessment options are available? 
So if we look at assessment, I think there's two areas that we often talk about. So that testing, which we call assessment of learning, also known as summative assessment. And then we have assessment for learning, also known as formative assessment or continual assessment. So if you look at your assessment of learning, it's grade-based, very much outcome-focused. And if you look at your uh, formative assessment, that assessment for learning, it's just that I want that information as a teacher or my student as well to see where the learning is at and what we can do to improve that learning of particular students. So it's very much learning focused. I'm trying to collect information about a student's strengths and weaknesses and then know, okay, this is what they're at. This is where we need to be at the end of the or at the end of the term. There's a gap. What can I do to address that gap? So actually to improve their learning. And I think for me, that's probably the most valuable form of assessments, that formative assessment. So given that there's these two different types, how do we build them into our classroom practice without kind of overwhelming students with just testing and, and you know, this kind of continual marking or assessment of their progress? I think that's one thing, Sam. I don't know what it was like when you were at school, but when I was at school, which is a long time ago now, there was a lot of testing with schools and grades. And um, I don't think it helps students build their confidence. I was always very nervous, so never performed really well. So that summative assessment is just such a big thing, right? It's like a high stake test. When you look at formative assessment, to be honest, any activity in the class could be a form of formative assessment. It really depends on what you as a teacher do with that information or data of your student's performance. So if in French O levels, I'm actually giving you a score for your speaking, it becomes a test. If I'm actually taking information from Richard thinking, oh, this is really good, but that needs a bit more work. And I give him feedback, or maybe I give whole class feedback on common issues then the students actually can improve their learning. So any activity throughout that learning journey could be helping students to improve their learning, which is formative assessment. So would you then be an advocate of, of scrapping summative assessment so we don't need any of these kind of stressful, high stakes exams? Interesting question, because in New Zealand primary schools, uh, where I worked in the past as well, we don't do a lot of summative assessments with younger learners because there is a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety, and it's not really building their confidence. Whereas if you work a lot with formative assessment, portfolio task, um, project-based learning, and they actually get feedback on what they have done, the positives, but also the areas they can work on. That is actually much more beneficial for the learning process, but also often for the learner because they're not so nervous. It's not that they get a label stuck on their forehead. They know that, okay, this is what I'm not so good at yet. This is what I can do to improve. I, I do think that formative assessment is much more beneficial for our learners, not only for their confidence, but also for that learning. Is there any benefit, though, to, um, you know, being given a grade? Because, uh, I mean, I agree that I, I did find test, you know, formal exams quite stressful. Um, but also at the same time, there's a, a good sense of an achievement when you got the grades in and you got that A or you got that kind of B or something that you'd worked really hard for. There was a sort of very big sense of achievement there. But is that is that just individually, is that a good thing? And collectively, does that just sort of encourage kind of competition between people, sort of un unhealthy 
kind of benchmarking, if you like, between students, do you think? I think it's a really difficult question to answer. If I look at stronger students, and I don't know if you are a stronger student, it can be really motivating. And it's in a way testing or exams can be motivating because students might actually spend more time on studying, they might put more effort into it and therefore improve. But if you're a stronger student and you get your B or your B plus, that is superb, right? That is really empowering. If you're a bit more unfortunate and not so good in German or French, and you always got those low scores, it's not really reinforcing your learning. It's not consolidating what you know. I think it's actually demotivating because you might have tried, but you're just not good enough yet, or you haven't got the right method of studying for yourself. So, so, so kind of kicking, kicking you when you're down almost, you know. I think so, certain students learn in a different way. And if we don't teach them according to ways that work for them, then you get that test, which is often designed by the teacher. And it might not be a fair test because it might not have various test items. It, the instructions might not be clear. If you don't get that, you know, then you can't do well. That must be so frustrating. You spend hours studying for it. And again, you get a very low grade. So we, you've been saying a lot about the uh, about the learner, which is uh, which is the core of the whole learning process, of course. But what about uh, parents and uh, and teachers so parents want to see the results rather than descriptive they want to see almost on the scale where my child is and from the teacher's point of view they are also observed by the director of studies by uh, by different members of the board so they need to show also that scale rather than send a a report with description of of each student so how to how to manage that as a, as a teacher it's a fine line right that you're walking because as a teacher your job is to make that learning happen and give those students a lot for learning so they're going to continue to learn in their lives but of course you've got your principal you've got the parents and they expect grades um, I think one thing that's really important is if you have a principal who's supportive of formative assessment, portfolio tasks like Seesaw, which is beautiful online, parents can check what students have done, it gets stored for many, many months, so you can really see how your child has actually progressed in a topic. Um, and get your principal on board as well, that it's much more important to say, this is what they have learned. They might not be at this level yet, but I think particularly when you speak about younger learners, they're so different. They develop at different speeds and secondary as well. So many kids are just not ready for a certain level yet. OK, so um, in ELT, there are obviously lots of um, formal examinations and lots of teachers have to teach those kind of classes. I had to teach FCE and TOEIC and a bit of IELTS in my time. Um, so have you got any tips for teaching exam classes specifically? Exam classes. Um, personally, I love teaching exam classes because I think a lot of my learners are quite motivated and they don't often seem to be, oh, no, another test because they really aim towards getting a good test result. I think the first thing as a teacher that you need to be aware of is when you test, you don't teach. So it really depends on the hours you have. If you teach them four hours a week, it's not a good idea, even though my students quite often ask in my IELTS classes, oh, can we do tests? Can we do tests? You also need to teach. So that's the first thing to be aware of. We need to find that balance. Um, and I think as well, 
it depends on the sort of learners I have. I've got a group of very advanced IELTS students. Um, they're probably already a Ben score seven. They only need a seven for what they want to do next uh, in the region here. So we're really working on test familiarity, taking the test, getting used to the strategies because their language is already pretty, pretty good. If you have a lower level uh, group of students, there is so much else that we need to do because test practice might be useful, but they really need that foundation of the language. They need vocabulary to be able to speak and read and listen. So with them, I probably spent less time on the testing and more on building that language um, and i insert a lot of mock tests like activities that i actually look at how they are doing that becoming familiar with the test types but it's only for feedback I and mean, not scoring them so yeah finding a balance depends on your students i think very much you're so right as well that you have to have that balance don't you between teaching but also doing you know, sit down kind of formal mock exams as well, because they need to get used to that. Certainly things like TOEIC, the timing is so important, you know, um, getting the timing right, certainly on the reading and listening paper of that is is extremely important. Um, so they have to be exposed to that. So it's, it's definitely a fine balance for sure. And I think as well, Sam, when you do mock tests and stuff, for many students that is low stakes because there's nothing dependent on it. It really gives me information of where they are, what they still need. So I really try to create in my classroom, like a culture of mistakes. I love mistakes. They're welcome, any mistakes. And for some students, I think you really need to create that because they don't allow themselves to make mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, I don't know what you can and cannot do because as a teacher, that's invaluable to see where they still need their development. So I'm not often not scoring their writing tasks, for example, but I really look at it. And then I focus on two or three things that I think, okay, that's what you can work on for next time. I try to give them fast feedback. So it has to be friendly in a, in a language of their level. It has to be actionable, what we give them as well. Uh, it's got to be quite specific and then also timely that I don't give it three weeks later because that relevance has disappeared. So yeah, again, in that way, formative assessment really helps their learning. Absolutely. So exam classes obviously are designed to sort of build up to that final test, right? But are there any opportunities for formative assessment in that kind of class? Obviously, I feel there's loads of them. But what strikes me and surprises me all the time, if you look at a course book, it's often the end of unit or the review or the end of book test. But formative assessment, any activity in the classroom that you give your students, could be an opportunity for you to collect that information and decide what you're going to do next. But if you just want to get it a bit more structured, I often say to teachers, any point in the lesson, but at the beginning of the lesson, you could maybe do an activity to recall what they remember from yesterday or a think pair share about the topic you're going to teach. During your teaching, like the CCQs, the concept checking questions we use, or just maybe give them some negative teaching so they have to see hey what's wrong in that sentence like error corrections and then of course at the end of your lesson like an exit ticket as well could be an activity like you started with it could be true false it could also be some self-assessment for the students of can do statements so yeah entry during an exit you can easily integrate that with the materials you already have 
So having looked at how to prepare students for exams themselves, what are some of the emerging trends in testing and assessment? Trends in testing and assessment, um, like I said before, I think one thing that's really important I notice in the region I work in is that in schools, the teachers and management is becoming a lot more aware of the importance of formative assessment. I don't know if you're familiar with a book uh, from Black and Williams, I think it's 1983, but they are really the formative assessment people. And they were talking about if you do that well, students learning can actually double. So that awareness is slowly, slowly siphoning through into the classroom. I think another trend which I see happening in Australia and New Zealand, I don't know about the UK, is that a lot of university programs now have direct entry programs, which means you don't need to take the IELTS or the PTE. You take a course which is quite focused on academic writing and literacy and integrity. So you learn the skills that you actually need for your course while you also build your English level. If you pass that with a certain score, you can directly stream in to your university courses. And yeah, I think, of course, the most well-known one is that whole digitalization of testing and assessments. Computer-based exams are definitely a trend. I think at the moment as well, we have more of this remote uh, invigilation I speaking, for example, you don't need to go to a centre, it's done via a certain platform. So that makes it a lot more practical, flexible, but also the assessment scores are coming out a lot quicker. Um, the other thing, if you look at digitalization, I think we have a lot more varied exam tasks. So I know my French O-levels was a lot of multiple choice. If there's one thing I cannot do, it's multiple choice. There's always two that are correct. I don't know, Richard, if you recognise this. but <laughs> It was a long time ago. Absolutely hopeless for me if it's multiple choice. Um, so what you can see happening now, the task types are becoming a lot more varied. There might be a little video, there might be some questions that you need to answer. And another beautiful thing is that it's more like adaptive testing. So you start the test at a certain level, you don't answer enough correct questions, and then the test goes to a level that you're actually more able to succeed. And I think there are questions if this is the right thing, of course, but I do think to keep students motivated and interested in learning, it is a lot more confidence building for them that the test sort of adapts to their level. Not saying we can do that with everything in the classroom, but yeah. That's what I would say the trends are. I don't know if there's anything else, Richard or Sam, that you have heard about. No, I mean, I think that covers the main thing. Obviously, this trend towards digital, and I think we'll go on to talk to that, talk about that a bit more in the Q&A, but um, it, it's certainly the biggest trend, I think, that I've seen in the last few years. Right, loads of very exciting things happening in the area of testing and assessment. So now uh, we'll dive uh, a little bit um, deeper and it's time for Q&A, the part of the show where you get to grill our guests. First up is Daniel from Poland who asks, how do we strike a good balance between teaching and testing in the classroom? I think we sort of touched on this question maybe already a little bit. Um, again, I think for you as a teacher, you really need to focus on what matters the most. So explore your students' level and find out are they already at a level that is acceptable to pass or do they really need a lot more language inputs? So 
So that's probably the first thing I would say that we need to to work on as teachers and become aware of. Are there novice students? Are there expert students? Um, I don't know what you normally say to that, Sam. Yeah, I think you, you touched on it already. I think the idea that um, being aware of what they're trying to achieve, what their learning outcomes are, their goals are, you know, if they're in exam class, obviously they're trying to pass an exam. So you need to focus on trying to get them to that point and whatever that takes. But if you're in a general English class, do they need lots of, you know, sit down exams? I don't know. You need to sort of weigh that up. I think maybe it's about thinking about what the what you're trying to get out of it, really. What, what are the benefits of what you're trying to do? But isn't also the case of speaking with, with the students and asking what what is their expectation, even if it's a general course, whether they want to be tested quite often. So it keeps them motivated. So they go, because if they course is like six months, nine months, how do I stay motivated? Sometimes, like, I love testing. I love being tested in exams. That was my thing. So the more, the, the merrier for me uh, as a student. Uh, but isn't it also like almost like at the beginning of, 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 of the course, speaking with students and and seeing where they are, checking the motivation element, what motivates them and things like that? I think that's a really important point that you're bringing up there about the students' expectations. Um, of course, they're in an exam class. So Sam, as you said, it's all about the learning outcomes. You know, we need to get a 6.5 or an A plus, I don't know. So that's what you want to focus on. I think it's also very cultural. Certain countries, they expect at least one test or if not two tests a week, because that's for them good teaching. So yeah, talking to the students, I think about your reasons why you maybe do less tests and more teaching. So they're aware of your building language is a really nice one. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, Joanna, you said you love testing. I was actually the opposite. I had a massive fear of testing. So my results in tests were always a lot lower than I could do in, in, a, in a classroom with a friendly teacher. But there is some research on the testing effect. So if your test is actually low stake, it's not like, yes, you're going to the next level or you're not, then doing a lot of small tests or quizzes is actually really good for students because it motivates them to learn but also it makes you retrieve all that information in your brain. So retrieval practice, the more you do it, the stronger the pathway in your brain becomes to that information, the more automaticity you develop. So there are actually positives to testing, as long as they're not filled with fear. You know, you're not passing this test, you're out. I think that's often how I felt about testing, but yeah. I, I was that teacher. I was that teacher that was doing loads of quizzes and uh, little vocabulary quizzes and mini tests. They were not tests, but mini tests at the beginning of, of the classes. The, the students were happy. They were telling me they were happy. So I think they were happy. <laughs> and I think now as well, we have so many cool tools online. You have Code, you have Quizlet, you have Gimbit, you've got Mentimeter. There's so many quizzes you can do. So you're actually sort of testing, but it's fun. It's very lighthearted. So next in our questions, we have something which you just touched on earlier about digitization, which is um, the questions from Yuki in Japan, who asks, uh, there are more and more computer-based tests scored by AI systems rather than humans. Why should we trust them? We, well, we trust 
AI quite a lot, right? If you look at AI, something like Google Maps, I don't think we question it any longer. You just follow it and you get to the right place nowadays. Um, so we, we use it quite a lot in our lives. One of the things I think in education, it's still developing quite a lot. So for us teachers, I feel it's really important that we can give our input on all these new ways of testing so it can keep on improving. Because I don't know, would I say I trust it 100%? For me, this is a whole new area. So I don't know how you feel about that, Richard. But for me, there's still so much to learn for that computer as well as there is for me. I think, as you say, it's a new system. And as we get used to it, our scepticism will abate and perhaps we'll begin to accept it. But also there's a, the old adage of it's only as good as the person who built it. Um, I was just going to say... Yes, because I think when you do writing marking, I don't know how many examples of writing they need to put into a computer before they can actually grade something without the human being involved. So it's only as good as what we put in there. Yeah, agreed. Maybe if we, we're sort of looking at it the wrong way, maybe we play to the strengths of the medium. You talked about more and more, um, say, a speaking test being done via Zoom or online rather than um, it's not automated by the computer. It's still face-to-face -face, but it's done via a computer and for me there's lots of obvious benefits of that you know this fear of us going into that musty old school gymnasium that we mentioned at the, the, the beginning you know to do sit down and do your formal test has taken away i'm doing it at home obviously it's still a little bit nerve-wracking as, as sort of job interviews are these days but you're you're at home it's a little bit more comfortable um so i think maybe it's more about thinking about how you can play to the strengths of the medium and and maybe yeah i wouldn't trust something to mark my speaking um my creative speaking or my creative writing quite yet um but testing it to you know testing it to, to test my gap fill my grammar definitely absolutely i think it's about combining the best of both two worlds so when you're using the medium to actually make sure that students are in a safe environment, they feel relaxed. It's not as fearful as going in somewhere. And you're still talking to a human who can sort of judge what your speaking is like. I think that is a great combination. I mean, objective test, absolutely agree. It's very practical and it's very trustworthy to mark. Um, when you said creativity, I was also thinking about uh, appropriacy. If there's no human involved, you might have all these buzzwords and really advanced words in a piece of writing, but how do we know that it's appropriate and that you actually maintain that level of appropriacy throughout? I mean, there's a lot of research going into this. I'm really curious to find out what this is going to bring us in the future. I mean, absolutely. It's very exciting, isn't it? I, I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but uh, it's not to say that we can't get there. So we, we've been uh, talking about... Um... AI and teachers and students, but where in it all or how, uh, what roles do parents have? So how can parents support and help their children they, when they go through um, an exam course or they're taking an exam or test? Can they somehow support their children? Absolutely. I think that there's many different ways for parents to support their children. And I think the first thing I think back to is that my mum was trying, trying to quiz me on my French words. You know, she would the English and I would give the French. So that's one way that they can support them. But I would rather like parents to be involved by 
making that language that we're teaching our kids for the exams, making that relevance as well in their daily life. So taking it out of this exam context and make it more real life relevant, personalize it, localize it. So playing with that language, particularly with youngers in their own little worlds, um, as well as integrating those skills when they have learned some grammar in a reading, maybe there's a little YouTube parents can play at home as well, where the kids can hear that language in spoken form being used. So think about, yeah, experimenting and being creative with that language at home. Okay. I think that's, that's something that um, loads of parents can try and, and help they, their children to overcome the stress and worries of exams and, um, and testing. So uh, finally, Olga from uh, Russia asks, do people still need certificates in English? Do you mean in English language or yes. written in English? <laughs> no, no, in English language. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> do they still need certificates in English? Um, I don't know. If I talk to someone and I hire someone for a job and you have an interview, you can get an idea of if they can actually speak and do the job. But if they have done an, an FCE, CAE or a TOEIC test, it gives them a certain, it gives me a way to compare them to others. So it's very standardized. I think there is a lot of trust given to those exams. So it helps us to source, okay, that student really is that level. So he or she is able or unable to do this job. Um, it's proof of what you can do, which is believed by others. So I would say it's still something people use, particularly in employment and in university entrance to say, yes, you are probably good enough to go and do this course or take this job. I don't know how you feel about that, Joanna, but yeah. Well, I'm all, I've always been up for exams and tests, so and the of certificates course. were to me as yes. favor. I can frame it and put it on the wall. <laughs> but no, I do agree. I think especially in certain countries, in certain regions of the world, they're still, as you say, they they indicate the level and they're proof. So it's not when I go, especially when you go to the job interview, I think this is when they're useful because the uh, an employer wants to know not only that you put you are of uh, level B1 or B2, but are you really of that level? And I think that certificate is a little bit of a backup and a little bit of a proof. Yes, I am. And maybe that uh, helps with the with the job interview or get to the to the level of the job interview. Um, so so definitely, I think at the moment, it's still that frame of mind that uh, certificates will open certain doors or open certain opportunities in your life. Yeah, and I think as well, when we talk about self-assessment and peer assessment, that self-reported, it's really difficult for students to say, oh, I'm good at this, I'm not so good at that. And like Richard said before, uh, it's only as good as the teacher is. So some of the teachers might not even be so able to actually judge if your student is B2 or C1 because in their context, they're maybe not so aware of it. So it's really like this global standard that really helps us get a clear, valid picture of performance, yeah. Yeah, so it looks like they will stay with us for at least a while still. Well, that's been um, 
a lovely discussion, a really, really interesting to hear your point of views on, on testing and assessment and uh, loads of fantastic tips and ideas for, for teachers to take and, uh, and apply in their day-to-day -day teaching. So uh, that's it, what we've got time for this month. Thank you very much, Anna, for joining us. Thank you, team. It was lovely to be here, and I'm sure we can keep talking much longer about this. <laughs> Definitely. Such an interesting topic. Thank and you for having me. That's that's great. And uh, where can people find you online? On what channels are you active? Um, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Teacher Train. That's my Facebook page. If they want to find out, if they want to connect on LinkedIn, it is my name. And uh, they can also go to my website, which is teachertrain.org, because that's mainly what I do, developing teacher skills in IELTS teaching or assessment. So, yeah, find me on LinkedIn and then I can send you to my website if you want to find that more. Fantastic. And as always, thank you to Richard and Sam. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, thank you for listening, uh, for questions, suggestions or and the other feedback, please email us at pearsonenglish at pearson.com or visit our Facebook page, Pearson English. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast from. And until next month, this is the Pearson English Podcast. Bye.